Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Hey guys, Olivia Allen Price here, and I'm standing at an intersection in San Francisco's Mission District. I'm out here because Bay Curious listener Matthew Cross noticed something unusual about many of the manhole covers in San Francisco. A lot of them are surrounded by a big brick circle inlaid in the pavement. It's probably 25 feet or so in diameter. Now these circles are actually a symbol. What lies beneath each one is a huge underground tank of water, a cistern. A cistern so big that the water inside could fill two backyard swimming pools. And there are more than 170 of them all over San Francisco. Our listener, Matthew Cross, wants to know, what are these cisterns doing underneath San Francisco streets? You're listening to Bay Curious. This week, a trip underground and back in time to learn why these cisterns are here. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey there, it's Olivia Allen Price, host of Bay Curious, the podcast. KQED Podcasts wants to thank listeners like you, whose support makes this podcast possible. If you want to help us continue to make great content, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcasts. And thanks. Reporter Sarah Craig went to the other side of town to meet up with a cistern expert, Scott Kildall. And what's, oh, it, what's this one say? This one says cistern. I meet Scott at the corner of a busy intersection in Chinatown, where he shows me San Francisco's very first cistern. So it's right in the middle of the street, so it's kind of awkward to, to stand on top of it. Yeah, let's go to this corner right here. Scott is an artist who has lived in San Francisco for years. He loves the city, and he really loves cisterns. Once he found out about them, he put together a cistern map, and in the process, became a sort of cistern history buff. Imagine San Francisco in 1848. It's, it's a city of a few thousand, and really, it's just a bunch of tents. It's not really a city at this point. Um, and then in 1849, as we know, there was the gold rush, and that just sparked a crazy influx of people into San Francisco. In just one year, the city grew about 25 times its size. People were building a lot of houses, and they made them out of wood. All this wood was perfect kindling, and the city saw six big fires, one after another, in the 1850s. And they burned down huge portions of the city, right? People were like, oh no, what are we going to do? <laughs> you know, we got to build a fire department, we got to do something about this. But there's no way to lay out water mains and pipes at that point. City leaders built 16 underground cisterns around San Francisco to store water for firefighting. 
They also bought a handful of fire engines pulled by horses and set up a paid position for a fire chief. They even required each family to have six buckets of water in their house, just in case. That's a lot of buckets. As the city grew, more and more cisterns were installed. But the city also started to build water pipes and hydrants. By the end of the 1800s, the cisterns stopped being maintained. But then came the 1906 earthquake. People were still in bed when it struck. It was 5 o'clock in the morning on April 18th. The shaking lasted for about a minute, smashing windows and knocking down chimneys. Cobblestone streets were split in two, and a train was even thrown off its tracks. But the real damage wasn't from the quake. It was from the fires that followed. The quake broke a lot of the city's water pipes, and most fire hydrants quickly ran out of water or stopped working entirely. The cisterns, however, they still had water, and they saved several San Francisco neighborhoods. Imagine, like, some sort of steam boiler pump that's uh, out there, like, sucking water up really slowly, and then they're pressurizing it with, like, whatever ye old-timey pumps they had in 1906. Back on our tour, Scott points out a cistern that was especially helpful in saving several blocks downtown. And here we are in East Dias Stockton, so this is where the fire was stopped. Scott says the firefighters also used dynamite to create sort of a fire break. Experts are still debating if this worked. So like someone's house could just be blown up. Yeah, it's either you blow up someone's house or, or a fire burns down like the whole block. But yeah, you don't want to lose the dynamite lottery. After three days, the fires finally died down. Three quarters of the city was gone. 3,000 people died and about 200,000 were left homeless. The public saw how important the cisterns were, and they wanted more. So the city built and repaired over 100 within the next several years. You can, you can see that people didn't think they were actually very useful until they were useful. And then they said, oh, okay, that's a really good idea. And then you have this giant political will and all this money to pass bond measures to actually um, construct the cisterns. As we're about to say goodbye, Scott mentions a fire hydrant at the corner of Mission Dolores Park that's painted gold every year. It helped save part of the mission during the 1906 fires. But is anyone celebrating the cisterns? There's no golden cover for a manhole, is there? No, there isn't. And that's because the cisterns live underground. This whole circulatory nervous system that, that runs our city. We don't think about it because it runs smoothly. But when it doesn't run smoothly, we're going to really think about it. But the city hasn't forgotten about the cisterns. This month, they'll finish putting in 30 more under San Francisco streets. I went to visit one under construction in the Richmond district. After putting on my bright orange hard hat, I walk over to the edge of a really large hole. It looks like a mass of concrete and rebar, and workers are busy mixing cement. Lauren Cardinali is the project manager of the site. So what we're looking at is the top of a box. So it's 30 feet deep by 20 feet wide by 40 feet across. It's a lot. I ask her, What's it like to go inside? You're climbing down this large-scale rebar on a ladder, and you have to take a breath before you go in. It's, it's quite daunting, and it kind of looks like this very, very industrial art piece that could have been an art installation, but it turns into a crucial part of the city's vital system. Basically, the cisterns are there if everything else fails. If the water system can't provide water, this will be the only resource following an earthquake. That's Katie Miller, the city's water division manager. 
She's in charge of filling up the cisterns. She says the city is putting them in areas that don't have any, or in places where they could be extra helpful in stopping fires from spreading. This cistern itself costs about a million dollars. So if you think about it, that's about the cost of a, of a really nice new home. It's about the size of a new home, too. It could be a nice bunker for somebody. <laughs> the next day, I visit a cistern that's getting a refill. A fire hose snakes across the pavement, filling the cistern from a nearby hydrant. You want us to turn the hydrant on for you? That'd be great. Okie doke. All right. Head on over there. All right, coming on. This cistern has a large brick circle, but on my tour with Scott, most of the cisterns we visited didn't have the bricks. The roads have been repaved so many times. There probably is an original brick circle somewhere deep under there, but the bricks are pretty cool. I will say that. <laughs> That's Deputy Fire Chief Tony Rivera. He says the bricks come in three designs, the circle, a double circle, and a square but they're not as important anymore for helping firefighters find the cistern. Now they use GPS. So these days, the circles just serve as decoration. My personal preference, I do like the circle, and it's, it's more of the traditional look that uh, most of our firefighters are uh, used to seeing. 15 minutes later, the 75,000 gallon cistern is full. All right, Danny, go ahead and shut it down. The cisterns haven't been used since the 1906 earthquake, but they're sitting just under our feet, ready to save the city when the next quake strikes. That was reporter Sarah Craig. Thanks to Scott Kildall for all his research on the cisterns. Scott even created a cistern model that you can 3D print in your home. It is truly a work of art. Visit our website, baycurious.org, for the instructions. Today's episode was produced in memory of the question asker, Matthew Cross. Thank you for your curiosity. I'm Olivia Allen Price. Bay Curious is made in San Francisco at KQED. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description. Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow-fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.